Thank you, Creative Arts Ministry, for reminding us of the beauty of the creation in the garden, the innocence of pure imagination, and then how we went astray. But through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we can be restored. And holding on close to that Savior, pictured in that red balloon, we can soar with him for all of eternity. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Throughout generations, the common Christian response on resurrection morning is, He is risen. And the response being, He is risen indeed. Perhaps put that in the chat even now. I'd like to give thanks and greetings to our senior pastor, Dr. Anderson, who is watching even live 30 years of faithful ministry where God has used him. So if you would, maybe chat, greet him in the chat box, even as you watch now. Easter, the resurrection, the key event in all of human history. It is why we worship on Sunday and not on the Sabbath Saturday. It's a miracle, right? Do you believe in miracles? Do you hear those words from Al Michaels in 1980 in the Winter Olympics when the United States was just about to beat the Soviet Union and move ahead to the gold medal game in which they would win the gold medal? Do you believe in miracles? The resurrection of Jesus Christ is such a miracle. But perhaps you are a fellow struggler like me. And there are times when doubts can enter our minds. There are times in the difficult things of life where we wonder if God is too wise to make a mistake. If he is too loving to be unkind. If he is too powerful for his purposes to be thwarted. The miracle of the resurrection. Do you doubt it? Or do you have faith? You see, what we need is faith. But faith is one of those words that doesn't tell the whole story. It needs an object, much like anger or fear. If you were to say, I'm angry, it begs the question, what are you angry at? If you were to say, I'm afraid, it begs the question, what are you afraid of? If you were to say, I'm good because I have faith, it begs the question, what do you have faith in? My friends, we must have faith, confidence, trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
It's what makes all the difference in the world. It's the key. I am basing everything on the resurrection of Christ. And if that is the case, I better be able to prove it. Uh, Jesus himself was challenged in this way. In John chapter 2, as Jesus was clearing the temple region because of the money changers, verses 18 through 22 read, The Jews then responded to him, What sign can you show us to prove you have authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you are going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Prove it. You put your faith in the resurrection, prove it. Jesus proved it for us. Proof is important. A proclamation is one thing, but proof is important. Of Babe Ruth's 714 home runs, there's one that we remember most. In Game 3 of the 1932 World Series, when the Babe predicted that he was going to hit a home run. And he pointed his bat to the outfield. And then he hit a home run. He proved it. So if I make a claim, you can say, prove it. If I claim that Jesus rose from the dead, you can say, prove it. If I say that I can juggle three balls, you can say, prove it. Now, I'm not going to prove it unless you put it in the chat box. <laughs> and I'm going to wait you out. I don't see it yet. Do you doubt me? You say, prove it. All right. I proved it. And by many convincing proofs, Jesus demonstrated that he had risen from the dead. There is evidence to back it up. I want you to listen to the significance of the resurrection as Paul, in the most prominent chapter on resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15, deals with this. The chapter's long. I would love to read all of it to you, but time doesn't allow me to read all of it. I'll read some selected verses, verses 1 through 8, and then I'll pick it up again in verse 14 down through verse 20, where Paul is grappling with the question, what if? What if? What if we can't prove it? What, what if Jesus is not risen from the grave? What are the implications of that? Does it even matter? Listen to the apostles' words in 1 Corinthians 15, 
beginning in verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, now that's Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. Now to verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses of God, For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ... We are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. What if? What if Christ is not risen from the dead? Uh, What if he is? What difference does it make? To us. If Christ is not risen from the dead, note the things that Paul identifies are true. Our faith is in vain. That means it's without purpose. Our faith is useless, futile, empty. Our preaching, therefore, about the resurrected and the death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior Jesus Christ is useless. It's of no benefit. We are liars if Jesus is not risen from the dead. We are false witnesses. We are still in our sins. We are unforgiven. We bear the burden or the weight of guilt. If Christ isn't risen from the dead, unforgiven. I recall the movie Unforgiven, where Clint Eastwood played the character William Money. And he had lived a horrible life. And he tried to redeem himself, but he still bore the burden and the guilt of what he had done because he was unforgiven. Can you imagine bearing the guilt and the weight of your sin? Unforgiven. That is the reality if Christ is not risen from the dead. Those who died ahead of us are lost. All of your loved ones. And we are to be most pitied of all people. Fools amongst fools. 
if Christ is not risen from the dead. But what if? What if he is? What if it's true? What if I can prove it? What if Jesus gave many convincing signs that he was risen from the dead? What if that is true? What if he pulled off what he predicted? Well, first, it proves him to be the Son of God. Romans 1.4 says, He was appointed the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead. It proves his deity, that he is who he said he was. Romans 4.25 indicates that it settles our justification. He was raised for our justification. Justification means to be declared righteous. That God looks at our account and he sees all the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Why? Because when he looks at Jesus' account, he saw that Jesus paid the price in full. On that cross, when Jesus said, it is finished, it meant paid in full. And so God can declare us righteous as if we lived Jesus' life. Why? Because he treated Jesus as if he lived our life. Justified. What if? What if Jesus really did Rise from the dead. It secures our resurrection. He is the the firstborn, and it secures the fact that we will be raised from the dead, as Romans 8.11 says. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. Oh, what if Jesus did rise from the dead? then it secures your resurrection. And it provides current empowerment for us to live a godly life. We live this life by the Spirit. When I baptize people, and for most of the clergy here at Bridgeway, when we baptize people, we quote Romans 6.4 when we baptize them. Buried in the likeness of Jesus' death, raised in the power of the resurrection to walk in newness of life. You are empowered to live a godly life because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Oh, it's, it's a pretty important fact, isn't it? That Jesus is raised from the dead. Peter, furthermore, tells us that we better be ready to be able to prove out and to reason and defend why it is that we have this hope within us. Uh, He says in 1 Peter 3.15, But if your hearts revere Christ as Lord, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Now a couple things about this verse. Give an answer to everyone. Sometimes I think we need to give an answer to ourselves. We need to give ourselves some fortified, secure 
hope and reason as to why we continue on in this Christian life. Give yourself a reason, an answer, a proof. The Greek word there is apologia, from which we get our transliterated English word apologetics. It means to defend or to reason or to give an answer. Apologetics is the intellectual defense of the truth of the Christian religion. And we're charged to be able to defend our faith. Now I have the benefit of having studied in seminary under one of the world-renowned experts on the historical resurrection of Jesus Christ, Dr. Gary Habermas. And yet, I still find myself sometimes put in interesting situations when it comes to proving, defending my faith. I play tennis uh, at least uh, once a week. And I play with some gentlemen who are of the Jewish tradition. And one of my tennis partners, upon the Day of Atonement, I asked him how he was celebrating the Day of Atonement. And he said, atonement? I don't need to atone for any sin. And I said, well, me too. And the reason why is because my sin has already been atoned for by the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, this past week, he wanted me to play tennis on Wednesday or Friday, and because of preparation, I said, I, I, I can't, we're getting ready for a big weekend. It's Resurrection Sunday. He said, no, it's not Resurrection Sunday, it's the Passover. I said, well, yeah, it is the Passover, and that's what Jesus celebrated uh, with his disciples on the night that he was betrayed, but we really point towards Sunday when he rose from the dead. Now that could turn into a real interesting conversation, couldn't it? And so if I'm, if I'm challenged in having studied the evidences for the resurrection, I, I think about you. Do you need your heart secured in the evidence of the resurrection, so that your faith is based on something that's solid. And so I want to take a little bit of time of talking about what Luke, Dr. Luke, the man of detail in Acts chapter 1, verse 3 says, that after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Now recently there was a message preached here on February 6th by one of our guest speakers, Reverend Tim Webster. And he did a top-down approach on bibliology, on proving that the Bible is, rea rea the Bible is reliable. So that was sort of top-down. And if the Bible is reliable, then everything contained in the Bible can be trusted. So I'm not going to do that approach, but I'm going to do more of a bottom-up approach. That if you can show the evidence for the resurrection, it proves that Jesus was who he says, it, says he was, and it gives evidence to everything that's contained from the lips and the mouth of Jesus. What are the proofs? What are the evidences? 
the evidence for a historical resurrection of Jesus. I'm somewhat rational. I don't, I don't know about you, but I, I, I tend to want things to make sense. You know, for my thinking and my feelings, I, I tend to fire first from my thinking, from rational thinking. My wife may be a little different than that. When I buy a new car, I can take weeks, if not months, researching resale value, best value, fuel economy, safety features, many, many things. But when I walk on a lot with Tracy, she says, boy, I, I like that color. <laughs> if you're a little bit like me, then maybe you're a little bit like Sergeant Joe Friday. Do you remember the late 60s show, Dragnet? And his key line was, just the facts, ma'am. So what are the facts? Well, there are about 12 key evidences held by skeptics and Christians alike to demonstrate the proof of the resurrection. Today we'll cover about five of these. And number one, death by crucifixion. You see, you can't prove someone was raised from the dead until you can first prove that he died. And so death by crucifixion is the first one. And this is something that he predicted. And let me just state this, the Romans were good at killing. And not only that, but we know historically that his side was pierced. And when the fluids flowed from him, the separation of water and blood clearly evidenced that Jesus was dead on the cross. This is confirmed by not only all four of the Gospels, but by several non-Christian sources, such as a Jewish historian by the name of Josephus, a Roman historian by the name of Tacitus, the Greek Lucian, as well as the Jewish Talmud itself. Jesus died. The second proof of the resurrection is the empty tomb. You see, after first showing that there was death, you have to show that there was the burial of the body. An empty tomb is of no value unless you first demonstrate that there was a body in that tomb. Atheist Jeffrey Lauder agrees that Quote, the burial of Jesus by Joseph of Arimathea has a high final probability. Something had to happen to the body of Jesus. What happened to the body of Jesus? All four Gospels record the scene at the empty tomb of Jesus. We see that in Matthew 28, in Mark 16, in John 20, and the passage I'm going to read, Luke 24. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. 
Remember how he told you? While he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. The tomb was empty. Evidence number three, multiple appearances. Paul reiterates those for us in 1 Corinthians 15 during his 40 days prior to the ascension. Three private appearances, three group appearances, one of them to over 500. And the private appearances, let's think about the appearances to James and to Paul. He appears to James. We know James to be the half-brother of Jesus. We know him to be an unbeliever who doubted Jesus. He didn't even show up to the crucifixion, the execution of his own brother. And yet, early after the resurrection, we see him in the upper room. And specifically noted out, Paul says, Jesus appeared to James. James was changed because what historians say is he believed to see the resurrected Jesus. What we know is that he did see the resurrected Jesus, and it made all the difference in the world. For James wrote the first New Testament book that we have in about 51 AD, and he starts it by calling himself a bondservant, an indentured slave to the Lord Jesus Christ. Think of the changed life in James and this appearance. And then also in Paul, he appears to Paul. And not only does he make these appearances, but we see the dramatic change in many, which is the fourth evidence. Look at the change in James, who became an early leader in the Jerusalem church, holding counsel in Acts chapter 15. And look at the change in Paul. Paul was a doubter. He was in opposition to the way. He arrested Christians. He persecuted the church. And yet, in Acts chapter 9, on his road to Damascus experience, when he saw the resurrected Jesus, it changed his life. He became willing to die. My friends, liars don't make good martyrs. And James... And Peter and Paul were all willing and did give their lives for this reality, this fact that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. The last evidence, briefly, is this idea that there's a 2,000-year movement of millions and millions of people it has changed the world, this fact that Jesus is risen from the dead. And it hasn't just changed millions and millions, but it's, it's changed you. Sure, this is a rational approach to faith. And people can argue with the evidences, even though atheists and secular historians agree to the facts. But let me tell you one thing they can't argue with, and that is a changed life. And they can't argue with your God's story of a changed life. Yes, this has been somewhat of a rational approach, but let me tell you this. If I can talk you into something, Satan can talk you out of it. Do I want to urge you to believe in the resurrected Jesus Christ? Do I want to urge 
these tennis players that I, that I play with, that I love? Do you want to be salt and light and invite others to trust Jesus? Sure you do. But there has to be more than just an intellectual assent, believing about the resurrection. You have to believe in the resurrected one, putting your trust in him. It could be said that there's about an 18-inch difference between heaven and hell, and it's the difference between the head and the heart. Just trusting, knowing things in your head won't save you, but it's trusting in your heart. Abandoning yourself to the truths of the gospel, the truth of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and placing your faith and trust in him alone for the forgiveness of sins in your eternal life. And no doubt, there is a sense of exclusivity in the Christian faith, the exclusivity of Jesus. Jesus himself would say in John 14, 6, he said this to Thomas, when Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? This is when Jesus was saying he was going to depart shortly before his death. And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. So I hope you're rejoicing I hope you have awe and gratitude for the resurrected Jesus because it answers the what-if question and it makes all the difference in the world for us. But if not, if you're one of those loved ones who's been maybe a skeptic and haven't crossed over from unbelief to belief yet, I would encourage you with this. A king is extending to you a gift. Himself. Much like Jesus extended to me 40 years ago the gift of eternal life. And I reached out a beggar's hand because I can't earn it or deserve it. And I received that gift of eternal life. And I've been dancing with him ever since. Would you reach out a beggar's hand and receive the gift of eternal life, trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior? Because, as it is proclaimed, He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Bridgeway Community Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. To learn more about Bridgeway, visit our website at bridgeway.cc. To watch all of our sermons, visit our YouTube channel and make sure you subscribe while you're there. If you'd like to download sermon notes, just click the link in the description. If you'd like to take part in our 30th anniversary challenge, go to bridgeway.cc 30. That's bridgeway.cc slash T-H-I-R-T-Y. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.